0: Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show
1: description to support now. I thought I left you.
2: Somewhere in the
1: Hello and welcome to the Robert Lane Creative Careers Podcast, the podcast about creativity and making a living in the arts. This episode of the podcast features a conversation with actor, writer, singer and improviser Lucy Trodd. It would be fantastic if you could rate, review and subscribe to the podcast as doing that helps more people to discover it. It's also very useful when I'm talking to potential new guests as it shows that people are listening. Thank you. Hi Lucy, how are you?
0: Hi, I am very well, Robert. How are you?
1: Yeah, I'm very well as well. Thank you. Not too bad. You've been down in my neck of the woods or up in my neck of the woods over the last few days, I believe.
0: I have. I've been running a Finding Your Funny workshop that I created. Um, Just looking at the funny side of improv. I mean, improv is always funny, but like, can you do that on purpose? Can you kind of... Where's the focus in the scene? Like doing background work, that kind of stuff. Um, we did a bit of, you know, like the gibberish translator, mm. but as a stand-up comedian, and then a, a sort of improvised sketch troupe thing based on some uh, little quiz we'd done earlier. Yeah, that was probably the highlight of my day. But yeah, lovely people up there. You've got
1: yeah, you found some funny, I dare say, whilst you were looking around um, the West Midlands. I'd have thought
0: yeah yeah I think one of my favorites was um a scene where so we set something up really serious in the foreground and then in the background it was set on a shop floor, and in the background we had some live like uh, mannequins like models um and then they started sort of reflecting the emotion of the scene that one well, of those you had to be there, but it yeah. was absolutely hilarious.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Is that something you find in all your improv work i have found with stuff that I've done that to talk about it afterwards is almost impossible and kind of pointless, really, is literally you have to be in the room because it often goes in such strange places. So you'd be like, well, then the elephant came in, but the mm. flying saucer landed, and people are just like, what are you talking about? Whereas in the room, it all made perfect sense.
0: Yeah, totally. I think that's the beautiful thing about improvis It's for the people who were there at that time, and then it's gone. Uh, and you can, yeah, try and backtrack and invite them in, but it's never the same. But what is funny is um, when someone... F- still finds it painfully funny and they're telling the story so there was one lady we we did i did a sort of like pub quiz where we were just trying to get to the bottom of like what is funny right can we agree on what's funny um you know listing pet peeves and serious situations and examples of comedians that we like to try to find some common ground um one lady was just saying how She'd seen someone sort of fall over and they really had hurt themselves. And we're all kind of going, obviously, that's like not funny to us. But because she was finding it so funny, it then became re-funny in a different way, in the retelling sort of thing. <laughs> is re-funny a word? I don't know. It is, is now.
1: <laughs> and uh, interesting then with um, with your writing work as well. Does it happen or more often or less often than you think where something that comes from an improvised uh game or show or something somebody else has said is the basis or the sort of stimulus for something in writing or does that not really happen
0: yeah i guess it's just the same like you know write what you know isn't it and um i write with susan harrison who you've had on your show previously um also she's in showstopper a show of, i don't know if i said that already I? <laughs> the show i do improvised <laughs> musicals um And we were on tour once and this was quite early because we've been writing together for about seven years now. And it was quite early in our sort of getting to know each other days and um, we both needed socks so we went to like a big shop and we're looking at the women's socks we're looking at the women's socks and then after a while she goes I'm going to the kids section I was like yeah I'm going to the men's section because I'm six foot two and she's four foot eleven and (laughs) I don't know it's like stuff in real life does inspire our writing so then we went to write a series a little mini web series called one size fits all exploring like what it was like for these two ladies who were extremely similar to us <laughs> <laughs> what it was like seeing life through their eyes um but you, but in terms of like improv i i can't remember a time i've put something in from an improvised show because you you generally don't own it just yourself mm. you know that i'd feel a bit weird about i'd have to clear that with whoever i created that with um but i do sometimes when i'm writing like insert joke here and that may come through improv in the you know performing of it, you know, or filming of it.
1: Um, in the the process of writing, is it so so you and Susan, are you together in a room, both sharing the pen, or are you writing separately and bringing stuff together? Are you talking and improvising it in a sort of Peter Cook Diddy yeah more way? What's I difference? do
0: you I think improv is brilliant in the sort of creation area of a new idea. Uh, and also, for characters like hot mm. seating, that kind of stuff um I but Sue and I we uh because a lot of our writing, I know she mentioned this when you spoke to her, but a lot of our writing has happened sort of through the pandemic and since the pandemic um more intensely we just found there was more time for it yeah so we now do do weekly zooms and occasionally we'll be like oh i'm in i'm in london shall we meet up or we're on tour together let's have a breakfast writing session or whatever um so yeah we we're now at a point where we can write together or apart which is brilliant for the old out of londoner
1: yeah I think that a lot of the industry has kind of hopefully opened up a little bit in that way, like with auditions and stuff as well, I guess, self-taping. I know that self-taping was happening before the pandemic, but it just seems to have become yeah, kind not of not so
0: much, yeah.
1: Legitimate, I, I, no.
0: I had um, a real-life audition last week. It was the first one in ages, and it, I had to wait like a whole hour to be seen, and it was a recall, and you're like, this is just unacceptable <laughs> I was like ready to kick off but there was a very cute dog in the reception so it sort of calmed me down but yeah the great thing about self-tapes from home is just um it's just great isn't it it's like you, there's this sort of one for nothing you know like no one's lost anything really but also then they're probably seeing more people uh I have worked in casting a bit with um Rosalie Clayton who lives down the road from me she's she's brilliant but I think um in some situations you will possibly see more people just because you can uh bang them out a bit quicker
1: yeah I guess so Uh, but then the advantages because I know you're not based in London now you used to be I think but you've just
0: yeah I was originally I'm from Luton um in Bedfordshire uh, so I was there, so I was like, you know, uni. And then I went to uni in London, 20 years there. Um, and now I've been in Folkestone seven years. I think it's tomorrow, seven wow. years tomorrow or the day after. Whoa, that, <laughs> that's gone quick. That's gone quick.
1: So is there a difference then? So obviously when you are first in Folkestone, I guess you were then travelling back into London for editions and recalls and stuff. Was that challenging? And is,
0: yeah, yeah, that was challenging and expensive, but it also makes you kind of go – do I want to do this? It's okay right. to say no. I feel like I've got more more power or agency, if you like, over my creative choices. And actually, folks in such a creative town, there's so much going on. We have the Art Triennial, which is like the biggest collection of outdoor art in Europe, I believe. Yeah. And um, there's, you know, really a really big lot of actors and creatives have moved out of London because they just can't afford it, you know, which is, you know, why we moved. Um, but, yeah, I was really sad to leave London, but absolutely no regrets and really recommend it. Anyone thinking about doing it, come see me. <laughs> Find me on Instagram, Twitter, whatever. I, I'm, I'll i just sing about it till the cows come home. I love it. Taking up sea swimming, got great pals. Also, we've got Screen South just at the end of our road. So um, this week they've got one-to-ones with the BFI. So right. like we're pitching sort of short film ideas uh anything you want to get made you're like oh anyone want to help me and everyone's like yeah i'll come you can have this location borrow this equipment it's it's not like i never had that in london maybe that, there is that in london but i never experienced that community um creative aspect that could have
1: here that's great to hear and they're very encouraging as well and like obviously that's another thing that had to sort of pause a bit for those two or three years and i know that from my own experience and talking to the people things are starting to pick up in that way again almost as if in a sense of like we've missed this for a couple of years let's make stuff together we've kind of we're off the leash again which is pretty cool i think
0: i do think people are uh, in terms of traditional funding bodies you know, like, don't want to name names or anything. I have noticed that some are making slightly safer choices, right. which is natural, I think, because uh, you just got to make some money back, you know. But, um, yeah, I'm a firm believer, like, if you can do it yourself, just do it yourself, because otherwise you just sit around waiting for permission. And, um, you know, like I say, me and Sue made these little films in lockdown, and it was just brilliant. I don't know if we would have done that without the pandemic, which is a terrible, mixed feelings about that.
1: Uh, yeah, that's actually something I wanted to ask you about then, was this thing of making your own stuff, doing your own stuff, versus uh, wanting to be in other people's stuff. So I think you mentioned about auditions and this kind of stuff. So from my point of view, I do music shows, I go out with a little improv group, doing short form improv, but then I'm also auditioning to try and get, you know, don't want to say proper stuff. How do you describe it? Other people's stuff. Legit. Legit. That's what I call it. Val- yeah, that horrible validation stuff. Yeah. But then there's this terrible thing like with people's scheduling, how does it work? So you say you're going for these auditions and it might be something that's going to be three months of the year. Like, oh, that would be great if that happens. But I've got these low gigs that I've yeah. booked. How does? But then at the same time, I'm not going to not book gigs in the off chance I get one of these auditions that probably aren't going to come through. What's the balance with that? How do you do it? And then if you add into the mix parenting as well and life stuff.
0: yeah yeah i am a i am a mum as well my, my husband's an actor as well Oh, blimey. oh was I thinking? um <laughs> no it's actually brilliant because there's a real understanding of like, like it's your turn you yes. know to go and do that play for three weeks at Eastbourne or whatever um uh what did you just say before that um the balancing oh and the legitimate stuff yeah i think um i think you just keep spinning the plates i think you're very lucky like i i did a commercial just before i've just been on a holiday which is like unheard of as an actor but every so often you've just got to stick to your guns and turn Mm. stuff down and be like this is actually important for your mental health to um you know go away um why am i telling you that yeah, so I did a little commercial just before, and and I was so lucky. That it was literally like the day before we flew. Yeah. Um, whereas my husband's doing some filming that was potentially going to interrupt the holiday, and it was you know a bit stressful for a while. So yeah, you're just, you're very lucky if it works out. But um, with things like Showstopper, it, we're lucky in a different sense that it's on a rotor, so if you can't do a gig you could you can with some notice pull out of it and switch with somebody else so that's really brilliant um yeah it's just hard it's just got i've i use like a google calendar and just we've got so many different color schemes going and it's like penciled things and um i really recommend taking things out of your calendar if you if you're not gonna do them just get them out so it looks a bit clearer that helps (laughs) my brain
1: yeah that would make sense and I think there's uh, speaking to lots of creatives and freelance people I think you mentioned it earlier it's that thing of a certain point maybe for years you feel like you've got to say yes to stuff like it's so nice Mm. someone's even asking you to do something you'll say you'll say yes but then actually once you've got stuff like mortgages and kids and other things going on it it kind of, like that scares me a little bit, but it kind of gives you the permission to be like, "Well, I don't need to do that, or I don't want to do that. It's not going to help with these things." Is that yeah? Something you've don't, heard?
0: don't they say like um Justin Brett, who's in Showstopper, said to me in Zurich because I was having a dilemma about two different jobs. Mm. He's like, "It's got a the three Ks: the ki- uh is it? Kicks, kudos, and cash. I can't remember <laughs> if it's like is is the job something you want to do? Like, has it got some kudos?" Is the money good? And <laughs> I can't remember, but it's basically like three. It has to tick like two of the three things.
1: All right, so it's like you might do something that's not that much fun, but it it's kudos and it's well paid. Yeah. Or you might do something that's not that much money, but you're going to enjoy it. Yeah. What's yeah.
0: the third one? Uh, my husband has another way of phrasing it. Oh, I can't remember now, but <laughs> if uh, if I if I do, I'll I'll get back to you. You suddenly
1: shout it out at me. That's fine. And your husband's an actor as well? Yes. In the similar sort of world of improv and comedy or different stuff?
0: No, he's like um, what I used to call Serious Circuit. Uh, So (laughs) I did um, a radio show with Ruth Bratt Mm. a while back, which was based on our Edinburgh show. And he was one of the token men in our our (laughs) show playing someone from the Serious Circuit. So he's he does like like he was doing the rsc over christmas doing christmas carol and um he's really good at shakespeare and words and you know he's got a brilliant voice for um all the classical stuff he's just really good at like text and Mm. analyzing stuff um plays a lot of posh people uh he's got tv stuff um but he but we we did meet doing improvisation and uh show, he was in showstopper for many years until until we did the west end and then and then he left
1: i feel like i should ask you because i've haven't i've met a couple of showstopper people but never really got the full story of how it all kind of kicked off and started really what what was the beginning of showstopper
0: yeah great question um so is this coat really noisy I don't... <laughs>
1: i haven't heard the coat so far that's okay for
0: well, the people listening at home, uh, it's I've a, got, new coat. a new coat on that's i got for my birthday birthday <laughs> a coat birthday. and it's it's one of those um down uh puffer jackety things <laughs> anyways um how did shows up uh begin well as far as i see it <laughs>
1: um
0: <laughs> a lot of us were working with a guy called ken campbell oh amazing who, um oh yeah you've heard of him that's you've Gone up even further in my <laughs> Um He was a brilliant guy. He used to do the Ken Campbell Road Show, and he's kind of like, um, what's the word, intrinsic or or like key in a, quite a few people's rise to stardom. And, and also
1: yet- did so. Sorry, to, did so many no, interesting no. things. Like just randomly, I was. Oddly enough, listening to the audio commentary of Fawlty Towers with John Cleese the other day, and I'd kind of forgotten that Ken Campbell turns up in that episode where it's the anniversary and the anniversary. Some, yeah, it's like yeah. So the, the links the, the in gin all these orange, different things. He's
0: the gin and orange guy. Yeah, he's got quite a distinctive voice. It's quite hard to talk about Ken without doing his <laughs> doing his voice. Um, (laughs) uh, so he did a show um, actually my husband played the lead in it a a 24 hour play called The Warp I've heard Um, of this this is like way before Showstopper but this is sort of how things start to overlap Um, and then he was involved with some of the celebrations um of the globe under when i think it was when mark rylance was running it right and they got people in to do improvised shakespeare stuff and awesome. uh, people in the audience had to put money in the bucket and then whoever had the, the most money at the end won <laughs> um my husband would be able to tell you more details about that but so, some of the uh members of um the school at night and and showstopper were amongst those people and then I came to meet Ken um by doing a, a workshop at the actors Center uh just a one evening a one evening workshop and he was like yeah what are you doing tomorrow do you want to come to Brighton and do uh a, an improv musical workshop and I was like oh sure yeah I just like something in my head just said just say you should do that yes yeah. and then from that I started going week by week to these workshops he used to run which were mostly like exploring all the keith johnston games some of his own sometimes he'd be like right you're all going to be ventriloquists now and he'd teach us how to do that <laughs> because he kind of introduced nina conti to that i believe um uh yeah and the, it, it was just so brilliant because i was working a kind of office job in soho I, I was working in advertising and stuff which was also really brilliant but mm. not what I wanted to do or what I'd envisaged you know as an actor to be so were you Um,
1: were you doing other acting stuff at that point or was it kind of in my head
0: I was but I think I was making like one short film a year or something yeah yeah yeah. um and I I think I I don't even know if I had an agent or I've I think I'd sign myself up to do like it was called extra work back then or or supporting artist work Hmm. and then I'd kind of go along for the day and they'd be like oh you incredibly tall person like would you like a line uh, uh, you know cool. so, of, of, of dialogue <laughs> 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 um just to be clear you look bored drugs are bad <laughs> uh, and then um anyways but yeah that's how my friend was like you're not really acting go and do some workshops so i did a really serious meisner course which was i found too serious i kept getting the giggles and then I did this Ken Campbell thing went to the weekly workshops met Adam Megiddo Dylan Emery who are the uh, sort of directors of the company and there's other threads going on beyond this so like Adam yeah. Megiddo um uh also had worked with Keith Strachan who's one of our early um investors and director of the company uh, of showstopper as well um So he did a a sort of musical called Saucy Jack and the Space Vixens or something. Uh, I might be slightly, you know, amalgamating these. And I think Dylan had come at it a different way because certain people joined at different points. Mm -hmm. We ended up doing like an improvised show at the uh, Royal Court, which was amazing, like on their main stage. Um, And back in the day, there was a show that was quite, I believe, quite artistic that was called um, Production Without... Decor, so it was like just a bare stage, and this show happened on it, or something, so we did Decor without production, <laughs> so we just did an improvised show on whatever set was there at the time, oh wow, but people always really loved the songs that we did, and I think even I think Dylan was playing piano for us at the time, um and yeah we we just did a, a, so many shows and every time it was like we loved the musical stuff and i remember saying to adam and dylan like if you know we sh- we should do this if you do this i, w- I want to be there like i think if i was to audition for shows Per now i'm not sure i'd get in <laughs> but back then you know they it was just beginning and we were we didn't have people weren't running workshops apart from ken it wasn't Really, I think the spontaneity shop were were running workshops with Deborah Francis White and um, and Tom and Alex McLaren. Um, uh, but there wasn't like it is the scene now. So we learned by doing shows. We hmm. learned amongst ourselves what was interesting to us. Hmm. Um, which sometimes when I teach, I kind of go, "Is that is it? Do I teach weirdly because I have never been taught in this traditional." I mean, I still do workshops and stuff. Anyways, so yeah, Showstopper kind of came out of that. Um, there was a sort of workshop at the Actor Centre that Adam and Dylan did, and I wasn't in that, but I did watch it, which was very similar to Showstopper and may have even been called Showstopper. Um, and then we did a run at the the King's Head, and like when I look at the kind of cast, it's like completely different, and we had no clue what we were doing, um, but people just loved it. And then that first Edinburgh. Because we we started in uh, 2008, mm-hmm. February, and then we went to Edinburgh that August, and it was just selling out, queuing around the blocks. Um, I don't know how.
1: <laughs> because it was something uh, different, I, I guess, was partly...
0: Yeah, well, you still had, like... Um, there was another improv musical from L.A., I think, and there was Baby Wants Candy, but I don't think there was really a, a kind of British musical really you know i think we just got in there first you know not even intentionally it just organically happened
1: Mm. um that's loads i'd want to pick up from that first of all was ken campbell scary
0: a hundred percent uh i he was my drama school like i didn't couldn't afford to go to drama school i wanted to i also didn't get in (laughs) i was really bad at auditions so many horror stories about that anyways um He was uh, really fundamental in my training, um, which was not very uh, what's the word normal (laughs) (laughs) standards. I he he kind of would get really into somebody Hmm. and want them to be the best they could be, and then when you weren't as good as he thought you could be in his head um he'd kind of sack you off and then you'd be like but i'm part of this group now and he'd be like yeah don't come anymore or or something like that or or i was part of the um school of night for a while which is now an all male i don't know if they're intentionally all male but they are currently an all male uh shakespeare improvised bardic group Mm. um and he gave us like these boots because he hated the sound of people's shoes (laughs) on the stage so he gave us these kind of um I don't know how to describe it, like kind of woolly uh le- like kind of leather booted lamb's woolly sort of boots. Nice. Like, I don't know. Uh so you got those when you were a part of the school at night. Um, but then my kind of I just sort of had enough of it, so I gave mine back. I gave them to Alan Cox. He he took over my boots. <laughs> <laughs> Because he, he would just sort of try and publicly humiliate you to see what you would do. And I think mm. I wasn't really strong enough to deal with that at the time. I think I'd just tell him where to go now. But, but maybe because he's taught me how to be stronger, you know. Um, yeah, it's some very dark times around that. But I don't really resent him for it. Um, and the last time I saw him before he died was in Edinburgh and he was going up some stairs. It was in one of those lecture halls in George Square. And he he just went, Eh, Lucy! And I was like, here we go. Yes, Ken. And he just looked at me and he went, Yeah. And walked away. And that was the last time I spoke to him because he died like a week or two later. <laughs> um. Yeah. It was a, a very... I was glad to know him.
1: Yeah, and it sounds like through that... Attending that workshop, quite a lot of stuff. Oh, it changed happened. my
0: life. It changed my life. Improv changed my life. Can change my life. I can't be, you know, grumpy about that. Yeah. He used to because he was always going on about my height and stuff. He used mm. to make me stand there with imaginary shopping bags, and I still sometimes do that if I feel like I'm not standing well. I'll just pick up my imaginary shopping bags and walk <laughs> around <with> them. <laughs>
1: oh, brilliant! The old problem: what to do with your hands? Imaginary shopping yeah. bags. That's good. I'll <laughs> try that. That's cool. Um, Edinburgh then, you've mentioned, how has Edinburgh as a festival changed in that time? Was that the first time you went when you went with Showstopper? Been yeah, anyone? we
0: used to go and do the whole thing because there weren't as many of us back then. Right. Um, and that was really fun, like when you had the time to commit to a project like that. Yeah. That's, that's really fun. Um, yeah, and I actually the first time I went up with a, was with another improv group that... Um, we don't really talk about very much, but it was called mixed nuts. And it was, um, <laughs> an a diverse, the first sort of diverse imp- improv group. And I was one of the, the not so diverse people in it. Um, but that was, it was, I was glad to go up there with them. And that was one of those kind of lots of people in a room, um, lying on the Royal Mile yeah. dressed up ridiculously kind of, you've got to have one of those experiences. Um, but with Showstopper, yeah, it was always on another level. It was just people were interested in what we were doing and and would come to our show. <laughs> um, uh, how's it changed? I, I just the whole accommodation thing is really mm. putting people off. Like every year, we're like, shall we go? Shall we just do a week? You know, when you're we're now in the Pleasance uh, Grand, which is seven hundred and Something seven hundred fifty seats, um I think, and I think it's their biggest venue. And mm. even for us, it's like we're just about kind of break even. That just doesn't seem right that you've worked. Mm. We've been going for fifteen years. Every year we've been at the festival, apart from the pandemic years, and then, and you're still like not making. You know, like I don't think it's wrong to ask to make a bit of money. You know. <laughs> Um, I don't know the figures, but I know I know it's not, and no one's making tons there. Mm.
1: And there's there's so much – well, I know you tell me, is that does it feel like there's more competition up there now? I don't know if that maybe doesn't affect the showstoppers too much because I guess your shows always do well, but there's a lot more people doing stuff or not?
0: Uh, in terms of improv musicals. Yeah. Or well, just improv
1: generally... in general, I like, guess. Well, uh, well, both actually shows. Yeah, There's a whole
0: section now in the program for yeah. improv, is no, there? They didn't used to be in, in the beginning. Yeah, because we used to put like wonder whether to put ourselves in musicals or comedy, which uh. section? And I think we ended up putting ourselves in both, or put an advert in one and list us in another. And hmm. um, but yeah, I suppose when we first went up, they didn't have like the app. Although I don't think they had it last. Yeah. It was a bit
1: of a disaster, I think, wasn't it? The I
0: think it was. I don't want to point fingers or anything, but that was a really brilliant thing, wasn't it? Like, oh, I'm in this space. What can I see right now? No, you're going to have to figure it out. <laughs> <laughs> Old school. Yeah, I, um I guess there are a lot more improv shows but it it doesn't feel like competition because everyone seems to find their own their niche thing you know we're, like we're pals with all the, the ostentatious lot the mischief theater lot you know adam was the teacher of uh the mischief guys and now they I think they used to look up to us and now we're just like oh please give us a job yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah they're off on broadway at the moment absolutely smashing it they're amazing
1: Well, that's something in that as well, isn't there? That, like, the the people who've come through Showstopper and then the groups that, from my mind, are sort of associated, whether or not they are, I don't know, but there's definitely links there. And then, you know, people just go off and do incredible things or a particular show, as you say, goes off to Broadway or whatever. In amongst that, when you're seeing your contemporaries do great things how is that is you always just very happy for everybody or is there some element of like, well, you know, I was there as well. Like not that you're not doing great things yourself, but I'm just thinking from my point of view of like, there's an element sometimes where you're like, well, how did that happen a little bit?
0: Yeah, I think, um, with the Mischief lot, I just think they work so hard and they're so talented, like hats off. You deserve everything you've got. Um, you know, some of the showstoppers have been in their shows, um, I think I'm I'm always really pleased for people. I think um you know with the Austin lot, some of the stoppers like Lauren um and Sue and who else? other people have kind of uh guessed it, but Lauren's like a core member of Austin Tatius. Um I think if if uh it's very easy to be like, oh yeah, I could do that. But mm. But could you, uh, and they'd ask you if if they thought you could, you know, like, uh, um, I think, I I guess what I'm thinking of here is that a bunch of us, like, way back auditioned for this TV show called Fast and
1: Loose. I remember Fast and Loose. Which
0: I had just had my son and I I did get through and I did the recording um, and then I had to go on holiday and then I kind of got, like, sort of cut out of it and... Mm -hmm that was a little bit hard because you sort of go, Oh, well, maybe I'm not as good as Ruth and Pippa then. Cause they made the final cut and then they went on to do like, um, comedy store players and, um, who's line and Paul Merton and chums, but you kind of go, I think that's great for you. And I think you're really good at that and you enjoy that, but I've gone on to do other stuff and I'm, I'm really glad that I'm doing those things. You know, like, I think things come to you if they're meant for you, mm. you know, not in a kind of spiritual way, you know, like everything's preordained. I don't think it is. I think you've got to graft. I think you've got to work really hard. But I do think if if you really wanted it, you would make changes to get that thing. So um, I think I'm always happy for people now. I think younger me maybe like, 10 years ago, it would have been like, hey, what about me, guys? Yeah. <laughs> but now I'm, now I'm just doing my own things.
1: And is that – I mean, I think it's similar with just auditioning and the rejection of all the rest of it, isn't it? That, like um, – I don't know if you've read any of Stephen Pressfield's stuff, like The uh, the War of Art and all this kind of stuff. And it he, he talks about that a professional – the difference between an amateur and a pro is partly how you deal with those rejections and stuff. And oh, the fact really? that you're just like, well – um a professional what are you
0: calling define a rejection what are you calling rejection so
1: auditioning and not getting for example
0: so that's technically not a rejection though is it you just you never had it
1: that's like, a, yeah ex- that's it that's the point of like as an actor i think you can go into those situations thinking i'm here to get a job when in fact yeah. the job isn't actually the job yours. is
0: the audition like not, yeah so not it's making job.
1: that as good as possible
0: yeah, I actually really like auditioning. I guess I only feel disappointed if I feel like I've not been as good as I could or if I've been made to, to wait for an hour and I've just gone in with pure rage in my heart.
1: <laughs> and there's no cute dog in the waiting room.
0: Yeah, quell my, quash my anger. Um, yeah, no, I know, I see what you're saying. I think there's several things I do, like when I've auditioned uh, or done a, you know, a zoom audition or a self tape. I immediately recycle the paper. If I've printed it or, you know, file away the email, delete it and then don't think about it. And it's always a nice surprise if you suddenly get a kind of call back. And, uh, I used to kind of like mentally spend the money and put the dates in the diary, you know, no, like just wait, It, it, it will all figure out if it's meant to sort of figure out. um, But, yeah, I think it's more like a rather than a no, you're terrible, it's a, hey, what about this way instead? You know, that wasn't for you. And Mm. having worked on the other side in casting, Mm. you know it's not to do with talent all the time. It's something factors are so arbitrary, like do they look like the lead because they're supposed to be related or um, just – yeah just like balancing the casting in terms of many factors you know whether that's ethnicity or age or accents or Mm. experience
1: linked to that i suppose i tend to like to ask people about um uh criticism and dealing with criticism whether their approach to that has changed in their experience and that sort of stuff um how about that then (laughs) yeah
0: i think um if you're someone who considers themselves an empath, which I am, like I, I'm so emotional about everything. Like I, if it's just watching, you know, the Antiques Roadshow, I'll be like, <laughs> favourite programme, by the way. Um, I love watching the people in the background. It's like the um, but I, I cry at everything. Like when I'm teaching and someone's just not necessarily – Someone's been brilliant, but someone has gone beyond what they thought was possible. I'll just be like <laughs> sobbing away at that, like, you know, either privately or publicly. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I'm really sensitive and I used to be really like embarrassed about that. But it's a lot of the time it's like how you're wired so, like my son is also quite an empath, and I'd be like, that, it's all right to cry. He actually doesn't cry as much as me but i've i've- i've kind of opened it up to him that if you want to feel sad that's that's totally fine if you want to feel you know um, but then we pick ourselves up, you know yeah um but for example like when i was doing the kind of sketch comedy circuit with ruth bratt i used to get really thrown if i saw someone in the audience kind of like scowling and uh whispering or or something i'd i'd be like that's so mean why are they being so mean and she'd be like you don't know what they're thinking or they might just be like is the babysitter there or yeah. you know there might like just nothing to do with you stop making it about you
2: yeah yeah, <laughs> so yeah
0: so she said what i should do is come out and actively search for the hater who is probably not even a hater search them out and be like aha there they are now i can do the show because i can't really change much about the fact that i'm wired to be incredibly sensitive you know i've always been a, a giant i've always been sort of mocked for my presence in the world so I'm you know i am just that's how I'm sensitive my my mum uh and my dad actually are both very caring people who care they don't want to upset people we're people right. pleasers um kind generous people so that's what we are that's what we're working with so it's how can you cope from that and uh you can't please everyone and for example, when I was teaching the other day, I, I sometimes do a little circle check-in where, at the beginning, we do like our name and a and a you know a word that comes to you in that moment, like how you're feeling, just to sort of let people get it out. Like, oh, I'm feeling really stressed. Or yeah, blah blah. blah. And then by the end, they might be like liberated, inspired, fine. But the other day, I did it, and this guy just went, huh. and I was like, mate, we've been here for like six or seven hours and that's all you that's what you're going home with but it kind of just made me laugh because I was like maybe the problem is with you or maybe you just didn't enjoy it or get it and that's okay too and it's like being okay with people not liking you or not getting you and I think that's something you learn with age is like you ain't got enough time to please everybody you can try um you know I try and be kind and random acts of kindness and all that but i'm never gonna make everybody laugh or oh, please everybody it's it's an impossible task to yeah say yourself.
1: <laughs> definitely and and it's like for me if like having the more shows you do the more are gonna not work or the more that do work and it's the mix of the two and i think when you do just something i've observed for people who are just starting or they don't do stuff very often if it's not brilliant, it's they're, they're very hurt oh, yeah. by it. which is because-
0: we used to absolutely the first Edinburgh. We used to tear ourselves apart about. Oh, I'm so sorry I did this. I should have, could have, would have done this. Yeah,
1: analyzing stuff as well. An,
0: yeah. Analyze everything for days, and you go home like crying in the streets of Edinburgh. I remember um, bumping into Mike McShane once, who was a big supporter and still is of, of shows. Stuff, who's guested with us. He's, oh, great. he's like our uncle. He's <laughs> just such a nice guy. I remember bumping into him to the street and him just like hugging me. He's like, none of this. None of this matters, Lucy. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and they're just like, oh, yeah, he's just such a great guy. Um, yeah, <laughs> I was I was just trying to find the, I listened to an audio book. This is my new thing because I sometimes get stressed by the um, number of books I have, by physical books I yep. have by my bed. So I started to try and read and listen in tandem to them on mm-hmm. um, Audible, other Services are available. <laughs> um, I, I, yeah, there's this book called 4,000 Weeks. Have you heard of it?
1: No, I'm it's
0: by know. Oliver Berkman, who I believe wrote for the, the Guardian. But it's sort of like he used to write about time management and stuff. But it's mm. the notion that you have 4,000 weeks on earth, um, and that, that could be really stressful trying to cram everything into those 4,000 weeks. Um, but actually it talks about just being fine with the fact that you're not going to finish all the stuff and you only have time for like two or three projects to do properly yeah. at any one time. Yes, um, yes. And I was like, yeah, this is actually really relaxing. Like, I feel like I need to listen to it again now because I'm <laughs> getting back into old habits. Um. But in, in terms of like, just bringing it back to what you're talking about, the uh, criticism and praise, like we, we always say you can have, you know, up to an hour, half an hour of praise for the show and yourself, and also criticism for the show and for yourself. And then we're done. We're not going over this again unless there's some like serious allegations. Yeah. Um, we've got to assume best intentions at all times and uh, just be, be kind to yourself because it is improvised and uh, no one's trying to be awful.
1: And that's interesting. I was only thinking about this yesterday, talking to my wife actually about the. I'm a multi-passionate person so I'm trying to do music projects and be an actor but do improv things and it's like and and sometimes I worry it's like that digging for oil like just when you get to the might be going swimming with one I'll stop that now and I'll try this thing over here and it's like well fuck it I'm interested in all of them I'll do them anyway yeah but actually this year I think it is a bit about like you can't do all the projects at literally the same time (laughs) so it's like what is the the thing at the moment to sort of work on. And I find that a difficult challenge and it must be the same yeah. for you as well with your, your workshop in and are you booking the workshops and stuff as well? Or have you got somebody to take care of that for you? Or you that's get asked pe- to do yeah. Stuff? People
0: asking me to do it luckily. So that's good. Um, but you've still I'm got not... to
1: schedule that and, and organize it around everything else, I guess.
0: Yeah. Um, I think if I didn't have so much on, I would definitely look to do that. But um, most of the workshops I do are running like the showstopper, uh, workshops with with in tandem with a musician um and
1: th- are they around shows then so if you're in a place doing a show workshops happen as well
0: um th- those ones tend to be in london like an eight week course for you know beginners returners um or beginners and improvers or then then a sort of returners course where you go into more depth um i really actually have become very fond of teaching mm. Um that's something that's changed in with me because i i didn't really teach for the first 10 years of doing showstopper because i had that kind of imposter syndrome of everyone else knows what they're doing and i don't um and then i thought well i actually adam megiddo said to me you don't have to know all the answers you just have to create a space where people can try stuff out and feel comfortable failing and like exploring and so that's what i've done really um i love it when i go away and be like oh thank you for teaching me something um this weekend there was yeah a few things in birmingham for sure um what were you saying just before that oh yeah but i think the the thing for me about different projects is finishing things you know like what is that about like just actually finish it but because it's so hard to know when something is finished yeah um that's a tricky one, isn't it? You think, oh, well, I'll just keep everything pootling along, but really just focus on that. Yeah.
1: And uh, if you're collaborating, does that help? So if you've got a project that you're writing with another person and you meet up this time every week or whatever, I suppose that's a different thing to just having stuff that you're doing under your own steam and you can, well, I'll do that tomorrow.
0: Yeah, well, and also sometimes like funding – and applications yeah. to competitions and whatever are brilliant because it moves it on to the next level. And now, oh, great, now I've got a treatment for that project that I didn't have before. But also then it's like you're waiting around to see whether you've got that funding or when it, when you could just be doing getting it. on with it. You know, it's like that, um, what's it, Virginia Woolf? The, the uh, Room of One's Own um the the, the sort of notion that all you need is a room and a hundred pounds a year like in old money but the idea that you just need space and money and then you don't have to like constantly grafting doing Mm. a second job or 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 whatever
1: and what about parenting then and how that fits into i find it interesting asking people i'm not a parent so when i talk to other um creatives i always find it interesting because from the outside you're kind of like how is that even possible particularly for yourself when it's two (laughs) people who are doing a a creative thing or whatever, and the positives I hear from it are like I've if I said this already, but like, well, it means you can be a bit selective about the projects that you end up doing because if it's not going to pay, there's no point doing it, or if it's not interesting, there's no point doing it. But still, uh, yeah, how was that? So, like, your son was how old is your son? Sorry,
0: uh, he's going to be thirteen in August.
1: Oh, cool. Okay, so he's quite a quite a grown up person, really. Yeah,
0: so, he, but- he spent the first five. Years of his life in Edinburgh with us, okay. and then we had a bit of a gap, and then he he was there last year. So he's had about six or six, maybe about half of his birthdays have been in Edinburgh. Okay, Um but <laughs> he did used to say things like, "Can I go and see a show that you or Daddy are not in?"
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: um he's actually doing his school show this this week he's not really like um performancey type person like he's very into dungeons and dragons and uh warhammer and gaming and board Mm. games he absolutely loves um but he does for some reason do the show every year and i'm like you don't have to do the show you know in fact i actively encourage you not to (laughs) um but I wouldn't be surprised if he was became a writer or something, because I annoyingly have given him the gift of when you're watching something, guessing what the story's going to uh, be. Yeah. <laughs> he'll, he'll say things like, that's going to be reincorporated later. <laughs> <laughs> or, um, yeah, I don't know. He's just really good at predicting story. Um, what was I saying? Oh, yeah, so in terms of balancing with, with childcare, like sometimes... He's just come on the road with us, but now he's you know his roots are here in Folkestone. It means only one of us can kind of be out mm. uh, on the road at the time. Uh, although my parents are brilliant and help out, they live quite nearby as well. Um, but I do, in terms of writing, I found it really handy because I'll be like, well, I've got an hour, so I've got to write the thing. You know, it, it, it stops you get things getting in the way because. Uh, I haven't got time to dither. It's like, it's now or never. Um, So that is a brilliant thing about it. And also they're really funny and inspiring and like dangerously, like you you care about them so much that Mm. it just takes you onto another level. And I'm sure it's like this, if you have a pet that you're really into or whatever, but um, it's another level of like emotion that you discover you didn't know you had. (laughs) um so yeah i i I, it wasn't something i wasn't like i want to be a parent but i it's pretty much like how i am about everything it's like oh i never have enough time or enough money to do it but it's probably something i want to do so Uh, (laughs) oh yeah
1: that's a great yeah yeah that is interesting and all the financial impacts of it uh, uh scary aren't they but then they are for everybody so that's sort of the way you look at it it's like show me a parent who's like we've got plenty of money and plenty of time oh, gosh. So yeah fine. i know
0: we we're always i'm always like just selling his stuff on ebay <laughs> <laughs> like are you using this no <laughs> you know um but actually I, I keep thinking he he's a really good reader i'm like he'd be a brilliant voiceover he can do mm. when he's reading out loud to us mm. he does all the voices and like, oh, i should sign him up he 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 has actually done a few filming things with me and you know he got like you know a day rate right and he was just like this is so much money uh. um, <laughs> yeah so i mean i'm not saying you should hire out your kids or anything but it's it's a
1: possibility <laughs> just it's a slightly victorian attitude <laughs> yeah. but slightly safer
0: yeah, maybe. If he would fit up a chimney, uh
1: <laughs>
0: I'd hire him out. But he, he doesn't. He, he's a chunk like me.
1: <laughs> Is he tall as well?
0: Yes, yes. I, I don't know why. I, for some reason, years ago, I said, "When you're taller than me, I'll give you fifty quid." Like as Whoops. a sort of joke. <laughs> I don't know why I said it, and then he he keeps going fifty quid, like, <laughs> his hand up to my to my head. <laughs> That's him. Great. Um, that- Okay, great. sorry, great keep
1: talking at the same time as you're there, sorry.
0: That's all right. Does Zoom do that thing where it cuts? It chooses one of us?
1: <laughs> yeah, sometimes. This has been a pretty good connection, though, I think, so far, Zoom-wise. Oh,
0: well, we've got new Wi-Fi, actually.
1: Ah, well, there yeah. you go. It does make a big difference when you're having one of those yeah. conversations with people where it is cutting out. I teach guitar as well, and since the pandemic, mm-hmm. most of that's been on, well, all of it's been on Zoom, really, till recently. Oh, I'm
0: learning guitar with the are guy you? down the road.
1: Oh, what, yeah. you, what are you working on at the moment, what are you doing?
0: Um, well, I'm trying to write a one woman's show. Um, so I, I really like folk music mm. and stuff. So I'm learning John Bowden's version of, I want to dance with somebody, oh, wow. the Whitney Houston song, but, um, he, he used to be, or is the lead singer of Bellowhead. I don't know if you know them, but they're yeah. just like the best band in the world ever. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> um, so yeah, that's what I'm working on at the moment.
1: Well, that's cool. Yeah. I gig a bit on the folky circuit. Um, i don't think i've ever actually met john no but i'm obviously aware of
0: yeah he's great
1: yeah there's a lot of lot of people on that so it's a it's kind of similar to improv in a funny way like it's hmm.
0: i know what you mean i know you're saying like it's different combinations of the people like i um me and my husband compared these, an event at the book festival, Folkestone has their own book mm, festival, nice. and it was outdoor uh, event where they were having like music, folk because of um, sea shanties and whatever yeah. all became a big thing in lockdown. Yeah. It was like, let's do something down at the sea, and it was on this sort of little pavilion thing. And it was John Bowden, Seth Lakeman, mm um ben nichols and um jack rutter were the four musicians and they're all so amazing and brilliant i was absolutely in heaven just like this is like this is no effort for me to introduce these people to the stage they were absolute legends yeah John Bowden actually let me and Sue Luke use one of his tracks on our
1: awesome. one size
0: fits all films. Well, that's I watched
1: awesome. I watched the first two of those this afternoon. So would that be the the light sensor one by any chance? Because those are. Funky it's bit, um,
0: if you the one where we're talking on the beach and then we kind of walk off into the distance.
1: Uh uh-huh. That's his track there. They're really cool. And, it, you know, the thing of like, I don't know if the people who had been filming and directing and doing all the rest of that were people in your circuit that you knew or whatever. But that's the cool thing about you don't have to look that far in your networks. It's like, oh, there's a videographer, yeah. there's a composer yeah. or whatever.
0: Uh, Dan, who directed it, um, and Gareth, the DP, they are both Folkestone. And I met Dan through a Screen South kind of little online editing workshop I was doing. Mm. Um, so, yes, small little world, but they, they were great, mm. really, mm. really great. Um, yeah, very lucky down here in Folkestone.
1: Just sound good. <laughs> and it's just funny, isn't it, how places get a little thing going on. But that's all it takes, isn't it? It's just a hub for yeah. a few different people to kind of be around, I think.
0: Well, yeah, and I think, you know, like just harking back to the whole how did show stuff come about, and I think it was just that energy was all there like every one of us who was in the original uh company of showstopper didn't have 10 other improv projects we were involved in like there's definitely something for like having a uh, a predominant group that you're into um and the same with ostentatious like those you're getting behind the idea if everyone's got the energy there uh, and that gets harder now because everyone's really busy. But in that that sort of days when it was just germinating, mm.
1: um, and having an identity of the show, I think you mentioned as well, like ostentatious. You don't, you know, you know what that show yeah, is in a sense. It's like, so and great. then and the same with the musical thing as well. It's like and um, bumper blight and anything where you've pa- you've picked on something. It's like even people who don't know anything yeah. about that that trope yeah. know enough.
0: To- but I think. Some people say, you know, cause some of my students are like, Oh, you know, we need a niche. We need a, an angle. And I'm like, you don't, you just need to like enjoy doing it and do it brilliantly with joy and with other people and people will come and see you. Cause they'll be like, Oh, that's that brilliantly fun group. Yes. you know. Although it's easier from a touring and a marketing point of view to have something like Shakespeare or yeah. musicals or Austin, t- you know, books to market it. it it's a, uh, it's also the fact that those people in that group are brilliant, you know.
1: And it's a great thing of how varied it can be because, there's like, just within a group, everyone's talents can be – though you're doing the same thing sort of, but everyone's talents can be so different. It's very yeah, interesting. Yeah, that's that.
0: sort of what this workshop I was running at the weekend was about, like, you know, when to shine and when to be in the background, yeah. be supportive, and, you know, knowing that all of those things are needed for a successful team and need to be in harmony for it to – for, to be enjoyable for an audience to watch like no one wants to see people elbowing their way to the front of the stage you know yeah yeah um yeah um and to to um change the subject slightly but just to wang on about how great folkestone is again like we have a really amazing music scene down here as well um folkestone is apparently um the world's first music town and we've got a thing in may where every night there's um apparently it's a thing like uh, you have to have a certain number of venues or i don't know okay um and every night in may there's like a live a musical event happening um and i go on a saturday to a group called beats by girls learning music technology because um the sort of numbers of people in music technology who identify as female are like staggeringly low it's like something like three or five percent of people working in music technology sometimes when you're doing so many different but complementary yeah uh creative fields or projects like you can feel like well i'm not any good at any of them yeah. but i don't know i like to think they're all leading towards something you know yeah the reason i started going to this group was because i'm trying to write my one person show about the years i spent uh going around with a DJ I was dating and it's sort of (laughs) I want to be able to create music on the stage um like a sort of clubbing environment that's cool (laughs) yeah so we shall see watch the space
1: (laughs) Lucy thank you so much for taking time to chat to me that's been really interesting if people wanted to catch up with what you're doing or what's coming up what's the best way to do that
0: you can go to my uh, website that I update every uh Approximately five years, which is <laughs> lucytrod.com But uh, you could go to showstopperthemusical.com and find out about us on tour. And we're also uh, coming back to a new venue in the West End, uh, which is very exciting, the Cambridge Theatre, where uh, Matilda's on. Oh, you can also find me on Instagram, at LTrod, and you can find out about my uh, sea swimming and uh, music technology. <laughs>
1: Awesome. Thank you very much, Lucy.
0: Thanks, Robert. Mm -hmm.